millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, welcome to Horse Hour. I'm Amy Stevenson. My guest today is Charlotte Sinclair. She's a vet at B&W Equine Vets. And we're talking vetting. So if you're thinking about buying your first horse and you're not sure what the vetting procedure is, then Charlotte's going to explain all about it. This is Horse Hour. Hey, hope you're well. Welcome back to Horse Hour. We're doing one of our educational episodes today because the team at B&W Equine Vets are kind enough to give us a vet each month where we talk about problems, diseases and any issues that your horse might have. But today I'd really like to focus on the vetting procedure. So if you're looking to buy your first horse, then what is the vetting process? I've heard of a two-stage and a five-stage, but what exactly are the vets looking for and how can it help us in our decision with whether we want to buy a horse? or not. So we're welcoming Charlotte Sinclair. She specialises in sport horses. Those are her passion and uh, particularly diagnostic imagery, tendon injuries and lameness. Charlotte, how are you? Very well, thank you. Thanks so much for joining us. Now this, this is a uh, complex issue that uh, I think it sounds like it can be quite straightforward, but to me I find it quite complicated because when we're looking at buying a horse, Technically, we want the horse to be sound. We want him to be okay. Um, So I remember when I first bought Blackjack, I had no idea what the procedure was. And somebody said, we've got to get the vet out. And I said, okay, well, what what does the vet do? And they said, well, they'd give them a vetting. And I said, okay, well, what's a vetting? And they said, well, they just test a few things to make sure that he's okay. And that was about as much as I knew when I was getting a vet. Because there's two different types of vetting procedures, aren't there? There's a two-stage and a five-stage. And I remember saying saying to my uh, my coach at the time well why don't I just go for the two-stage vetting because that's the cheaper option and I'm already spending a fortune to buy this horse and she said no no no, definitely go for the five stage but let's start if this is okay with you explaining the two-stage vetting then we'll talk about the five-stage vetting and then the difference between the two yes so a two-stage vetting um, is a full physical examination of the horse followed by a trot-up with flexion tests but doesn't include an exercise phase, whereas a five-stage vetting is similar to the first two stages of the two-stage vetting. However, we then follow on with an exercise phase and a recovery phase. Hmm. Oh, okay, so when you're going to look at a horse, do you technically start vetting it from the second that you you see the horse? Are there things that you look at uh, from, from an observational point of view of, of them just being stood there? 
Well, yes, we start vetting the horse in a sense before we've even seen it. As soon as we get the phone call from the prospective purchaser, we get some information, we take down the details, and we also take their initial concerns. Um, having seen the horse, so they might have brought up a few little, flagged up a couple of issues that may, might draw my attention to something um, which I'm concerned about before I've even got as far as seeing it. So occasionally I get a vetting sheet with sort of question mark, not sure how sound the horse is. And obviously that's not a great starting point and often the horse um, then uh, is a little bit lame or not not in all cases but um, people's sort of concerns might be based on other problems they've had with previous horses so some people might have had problems with for instance bone spavin painful hocks in a a prior horse and then might want to make sure they don't want to have this problem again so they want particular attention paid to specific aspects. Mm. Um, so, and as you say, yes, yeah, so we take every little bit of bit of information into account, and as soon as we see the horse, we want to know about its management um, and its in its history. We want to know whether the horse has any vices, whether um, it's in full work at the moment. That's very important because its soundness can relate to how much work it's in. Is the horse actually doing the job that the person wanting to buy it? Um, is is intending to do themselves or is it actually out of work and not particularly fit and doing a job um, so all of these things are important to consider that's interesting because I remember them asking me what I wanted to do and I said well I wanted to do dressage but I couldn't I, I didn't really understand why they needed to know that um, because is it different disciplines will you be looking for different things on the horse or different potential problems um, well horses that do different disciplines do suffer different injuries to a degree um but we're interested in i suppose in the level that the horse is going to potentially compete to to a degree um because some conformational issues for example might not uh, be a significant problem in a horse at very low level but might run more of a risk of injury when a horse that has more demands put upon it um and so we're interested in what the prospective purchaser wants to do with the horse so we can sort of see whether the horse has been doing this, whether we think it has the potential to do this. And I suppose in terms of what the what is the intended use to, what intended use is, one of the things that's very important is whether it's for a young person or, or a child. So if we're betting a child's pony or a teenager's horse, safety obviously is important anyway. It's absolutely paramount with someone buying um horse horse for or pony for their child so we are taking that into consideration as well the temperament as well as other sort of proper veterinary issues so have you ever said to an owner don't get this horse so i have for instance um would you mean on because of behavioral issues or, well, because or... yeah because of behavior because i was always under the impression that um that you couldn't actually say yes buy this horse or no don't buy this horse in case then the client came back later and said well you told me to buy it and it was fine or you told me not to get it and now look what it's done and it's amazing um so it's difficult for you because i guess you're just judging on the facts that you see of the horse and then you give those facts to the owner yes so that's true so although people talk about horses passing or failing a vetting we don't write that on the certificate that a horse has passed or failed um we say it's either sort of suitable or unsuitable for the proposed purpose um so we don't officially say yes the horse has failed but people interpret a horse as failed if we don't recommend it for for purchase Mm -hmm. and i have failed a horse 
that, uh, for instance, it was being bought for a child and it wouldn't even let me pick up its back legs and they were suggesting buying it for sort of 12-year-old girls. So mm. um, you've got to take temperance into account along with everything else. Mm. So let's start with then the, the two-stage process um, and then we'll go on to the extra bits of what you actually look for in the five-stage process. So if, if you were to join me visiting a horse, um, what, what would you be doing? Like, take me through the whole thing. So for a two-stage vetting, um, just as in a five-stage vetting, we would initially ask to see the horse's passport and we would check that the horse's passport matches the horse. So we do that usually um, with a microchip scanner so we can scan the horse's chip and check that it matches the passport. If it doesn't have a chip, then we can look in the passport for its markings and check that we are dealing with the correct horse because obviously that's that's important um, to have that identification. I would also check the vaccination history in the passport Uh, Some horses are unvaccinated or they might be out of date and it's just useful to make a note for the owner if if they need to start again. Because if they're planning on competing the horse straight away and its vaccines are out of date, they can't compete, for instance, until two vaccinations, um, the first two vaccinations have been administered. So they might be slightly held back by that. So it's just nice for them to be for that to be brought to their awareness. Mm. Um, Yeah, because I've just been through that exact thing because I didn't realise that we'd gone over our vaccinations. So I've had to start the process all over again with the the first three vaccinations again. Yeah, so easy to rectify, but just it's nice that it can be avoided. Mm. Um, So then after we've identified the horse, looked at the passport, looked at the breeding, noted down the official name of the horse, etc. We then... Um, look at the horse in the stable and I would start by listening to its heart and lungs because you want to listen to its heart when it's completely well as relaxed as possible so that's the first thing that you want to do before it gets stressed or anxious and so we listen to the heart and we're checking for any heart murmurs or any arrhythmias Um, and we listen to the lungs for any wheezes or uh, sounds of respiratory disease and then I go on to uh, do a full physical examination where I palpate the horse, I percuss the sinuses, so I check that the sinuses sound nice and hollow um, and don't sound sort of full of pus or anything like that. We check in the false nostrils because they can get cysts in the false nostrils, have a good look in the ears for um, any sort of, they can have sarcoids around the ears or oral plaques. Um, and then we check the horse's teeth we check whether the horse's age matches with the passport and that's quite interesting because after the age of nine horses can't be accurately identified their age can't be accurately identified within sort of three years so um that's something that we we always we always just check we want to see if the horse has got wolf teeth or not because that can cause a problem and whether the horse needs dentistry because that's useful to recommend for prospective purchase so whether the horse it needs immediate sort of dental um, treatment, rasping, and then we sort of follow on palpating almost every inch of the horse's body, looking for any lumps or bumps, have a thorough palpation of the limbs, both weight-bearing and non-weight-bearing, and uh, see whether there are any signs of previous surgery, whether we think the horse might have had colic surgery, whether it's had any uh, throat surgery, for example, looking for any surgical scars, any painful muscles, we check its back mobility, how well it flexes through its back, um, and just its general temperament, the condition of its skin, obviously thoroughly looking for sarcoids because that's a major skin problem in horses, um, and any even sort of low-grade things like a bit of mud fever, those sort of things that are going to have to be addressed even if they're not difficult to treat. We still make a little note of anything that we find. Mm. Um, and after that, 
uh, so that, that would conclude stage one of the examination, would move on to stage two, and that would be the trotter examining the horse um, out of the stable. And that's when we examine the horse initially just standing square, looking at its conformation, walking around the horse, uh, perusing it and sort of making a general assessment. And um, I might then have a brief palpate of the horse again. If the light wasn't particularly great in the stable, I might have another, another look at if there's anything I was concerned about. And I would then look at the horse um, reverse in a straight line, so they should move back at walk in diagonal pairs. And this is to assess the neurological function. So does the horse know where its feet are? Not, not all horses do if they're a wobbler, for example. Mm. And then turning on a very tight circle, checking they can cross their legs underneath their abdomen. And this, again, is a basic neurological examination. We then look at them walk away and back in a straight line. And we're looking at the fetlock extension, so how much the fetlock sort of drops to the ground. And that might be decreased um, if the horse is sort of got any mechanical restriction or any pain. It might be increased if there's a lack of soft tissue um, support. But usually we're looking for it to be symmetrical between left and right. If it's not, that might raise questions. And we look at foot placement. So a horse should land heel toe. Um, as it walks, um, some horse, lots of horses are quite flat-footed and land fairly flat-footed, but they certainly shouldn't land toe-heel. That could be a sign of heel pain, which is common in horses, oh. um, particularly thoroughbreds with flat feet. Um, then after we've had the, the walking, I would then proceed to trot the horse away and back in a straight line and would then at that stage perform some, some flexion tests. Now, the flexion tests are really interesting because we've been talking about that recently on the podcast uh, with Dr. David Ramey, who says that sometimes you can't tell from the flexion tests um, because they get, they, they could. Have you, have you seen this article? Um, you mentioned it, but yeah. I haven't read it. So um, he says that basically it's like holding your hand behind your back and uh, and pulling really tightly. Your, your your arms going to hurt afterwards, and in some cases in vettings, it's it's really flexion tests are really good for um, investigating problems that you think there might be a problem, but are not necessarily worthwhile in vettings. I'd love to know what you think of that. So I think the flexion test is a very important part of the vetting. And it is a crude test, and I accept that and appreciate that. However, um, it can flag up some low-grade problems that aren't apparent just when a horse either trots in a straight line or is ridden or lunged on a soft or hard surface. So, so they have to be interpreted with caution, and every horse responds differently to a flexion test. And when we do a vetting, we do a prolonged flexion test for usually a, a minute, um, whereas if I was just assessing a horse's general soundness or doing a lameness workup, I would do a brief reflection test. Um, and clients often don't like a flexion test being done, but it is a, a standard part of the vetting. And although it's, a, a, as I say, a crude test and varies between horses, what we want to see is symmetry. So if we see a horse that trots up sound, but it's stiff right hind um, on flexion compared to the left, and that alerts us to, well, is there something low grade going on in that right hind? Um, and, and if it's a pony going through lead rein classes, but it's sound otherwise, then we might be quite um, forgiving and, and allowing it's a slightly stiffer on one leg than the other, provided it's not got an overt lameness. Whereas if it's a top level event horse, then um, that's going to be under a lot more stress and strain. And so I'd be then much more concerned. And um, if I were concerned, I would then repeat the flexion tests again if I was doing five stage vetting after the exercise phase. Um, so I, I do think that they're important and I think they're useful. 
and would flex all four limbs in a flexion test in a, in a, in a vetting. And that is standard procedure and, and all vets that I know of um, would also probably concur with that. Mm. Okay, thank you. It's fascinating to hear different people's opinions because after speaking to him, I was thinking, well, what's the point in the flexion test? They don't show us anything. Nothing that you couldn't see by trotting the horse up. Um, But it's just interesting to hear a view of you when you're doing the vettings all the time, what you get from it. And what I didn't hear previously, what I didn't hear with the conversation was with him and what you've you've told us is the difference what you see the difference in the different legs and uh, and I hadn't thought of that actually by the flexion uh like you said seeing the cemetery and seeing if there is a difference in each of the legs yes and that's that's the real benefit of a, a horse having left and right is that when we're doing thorough orthopedic examinations we're always comparing left and right and yes you can have some problems that arise in both legs to a different degree for instance it's very common if you have a a a tendon injury for it to be in one leg to have a significant injury then in the opposite leg to have a milder injury because Mm. it's a wear and tear injury so but it's always useful if you feel a tiny bit of heat or swelling to feel the opposite leg and I always try and teach that to to students just the, the the use of comparison between left and right for any subtle changes um in terms of thickening or pain reactions and pain reactions is actually quite interesting and that's a good example so in a vetting or normal clinic examination you might for instance palpate over the proximal suspensory ligament and get a little bit of a reaction and you think what is that normal for this horse or is that an uh, an excessive reaction so every horse has a different pain threshold when you're palpating it so it's important to feel the opposite side if it's exactly the same that gives you confidence um that it is it's normal for that horse whereas if it's painful on one side and not the other again that alerts you to the fact that is there something going on here that um that could potentially lead to problems in the future Mm. some low-grade issue so when you've been through the flexion tests and looking out for these what what's the next step so so the flexion tests and, and trot up that stage two i would then go on um within that stage two of actually just trotting the horse on a hard surface on a circle and this is one of the toughest parts of vetting for a horse to pass because it really shows up any low-grade foot problem so that's that's its main use so if a horse has any foot pain then usually on a hard surface trotting around then it 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 exacerbates it Um, however we have to be very careful as a suitable surface because obviously it's not without risk trotting a horse around on a lunge on a hard surface we have to ideally have a nice flat gravel area um, but we certainly wouldn't do it if we thought there was a likelihood of the horse slipping so we wouldn't do it on a for example a tarmac surface um, or something that didn't have enough grip so we have to do it carefully and with the owner's permission um, but that's a very useful test for for foot soundness and some other namenesses but as I say particularly foot problems. So what would the reason be for the owner to say no I don't want you doing that test that automatically would would flag up signs to me saying well what are you hiding? It, it would uh, ring alarm bells if there was a very suitable surface um, and they're saying not to do it then that would be um, concerning however if there genuinely wasn't a suitable surface and you thought actually i can see their point i think the horse might possibly slip then i I would i would then um go for another option which is when rather than lunge the horse in the circle you can in these situations sometimes trot a horse in hand around a corner for example down the lane and into a farm entrance you can turn the horse sort of almost through 90 degrees um, and see it trotting with its 
with its weight distributed as it would be on a lunge um, using an alternative technique. And it's not it's not as useful because you don't have the consistency, you only have a few strides of the turn, but that would be my sort of um, second choice if, if lunging on a hard surface isn't, isn't available. Mm. And is that the whole of the two-stage process? Uh, we would then take a blood at the end of it. So oh, okay. uh, for two-stage vetting or a five-stage vetting, we take a blood um, with the permission of the owner, which is stored up in Newmarket for six months. And that is purely if the horse were to go lame the following week or suddenly have been a quiet, sweet horse and then change behaviour, They somebody can choose to um, have the blood tested for dope so you can see whether the horse has been doped. And it would very rarely happen. And I think the advantage of taking the blood is it puts anyone off doping the horse because they know it's going to be tested so really it's sort of probably a preventative measure and it would be uncommon that they would we would go back and test a horse's bloods afterwards and it also costs a couple of hundred pounds to do which puts people off too I was gutted though Charlotte because I was looking at buying a horse and I got the bloods taken and um, and it was all quite traumatic when the horse came over he was so different to when I first tried him I mean he this isn't blackjack it was a it was a second horse that I was looking to buy and when I and I bought him from Jersey and went over there had a vet came out did all the tests he was calm as a cucumber he was like a riding school pony he was so good so good in traffic quite green in the school but generally perfect for what I wanted a bit of a confidence giver brought him over here and he was like a four-year-old stallion I mean he was 12 years old he went mental he threw me up against the wall he dragged me through the field he wouldn't let anyone near his back he was horrific um, and he ended up being quite dangerous and I called the vet out and asked them what should I do um, because I'm quite a patient person and I like spending time with them and um, and they said well we know you very well Amy but you you're, you've, you've been outhorsed. This horse isn't isn't for you. So I phoned the previous owner back up and said, um, you know, what what would you like to do? Because would you like to resell him somewhere else? I can. It's cost me five hundred pounds bringing him over here, but I don't mind paying for him to go back to you to resell. She decided she didn't want him anymore. Anyway, it all went horribly wrong. She sold him on from the UK. And then as I thought about it and thought about it and thought about it, I thought I'm going to get his bloods checked because there's something wasn't right. And I phoned up the vet and said, look, I'd like to get his bloods checked. She was trying to sue me for some money as well. And it was all getting really nasty. By the time I'd phoned to get his blood bloods checked, I'd missed it by a week and they'd already destroyed the bloods. So I could never find out if um, if he was doped or not. How sad is that? Yeah, that is frustrating. And often people are umming and ahhing for some time, whether to or not. And then, as you say, you can sort of miss the moment because it is sort of for six months and that, that's, that's the limit. Um... Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. 
Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. And I think some horses are sensitive to a change in their environment. I suppose some male horses then in the presence of mares might behave differently to if there weren't mares around. Um, if, for example, they were a rig as well, then that, that could um, be a reason why they're different in a different environment. And I think... Often the case with young horses, um, they can be going beautifully, sweet as anything, and change of ownership, going from a professional yard to a non-professional yard, you can then run into problems. They can sort of challenge their new owner a little bit more than anticipated. So I think you have to be very careful buying sweet young horses for people that are less experienced because they need to be able to sort of keep them on the straight and narrow, just like with children, I suppose. Um, and then the other instance, it can be cobs as well. So a lot of people have the impression that cobs are sweet, lovely, quiet, reliable, nice animals. And they can change as well. And they can be quite challenging and have attitudes that people don't expect. So I've seen mm-hmm. a few people wanting to buy a quiet cob. And actually, it's not the quiet cob they, they thought they were buying. Um, and they, they can um, be quite challenging too. So sometimes people slightly fall for for sort of the wrong assumption Hmm. so so they hold the blood for six months so that's your cutoff point if you want to get it checked um and i'm pleased that you take the bloods in the two-stage vetting as well it sounds to me like the two stages are non-ridden process and the five stage is includes the the ridden side of the test as well yes well five stage vetting then goes on to see the horse exercise now if the horse is unbroken, it can be lunge. So the, the exercise phase can be non-ridden. It doesn't necessarily have to be ridden. Um, so it could, could be just trotting and cantering on the lunge. Um, if, for example, it was an unbroken three-year-old, so you could still do a five-stage fetting. Um, however, normally we'd like to see the horse ridden because we'd want to see that it's comfortable with the rider on and that it can do the job that it is supposed to be doing um, and to, to see the fact that the weight of the rider doesn't exacerbate any lameness. So the reason we like to see the horse exercised is also because some um, lameness has become apparent after the horse has been exercised and aren't before so if a horse is rested and just being stood in it might be sound but then some particularly soft tissue injuries might be worse with exercise so we want to challenge the horse with exercise and have a trot up afterwards um, and also some cardiac problems so some heart murmurs or arrhythmias only transpire when the horse is exercised so again we listen to the heart at the end of strenuous exercise to evaluate this and this is these are the parts that you don't get when you just have a a two-stage vetting so I can't understand I'm trying to think in my head any reason why I would just have a two-stage vetting because if I'm looking for a horse to buy to ride no matter what age what level what discipline I'm going to want to, to see what he's like with a rider on his back in case he has any back issues so I suppose a two-stage vetting would always be indicated in a horse that, for example, couldn't be lunged. So if you had a, a yearling 
then you would only be aiming to do a two-stage vetting because a five-stage vetting just isn't practical. In more mature horses, I think that people choose a two-stage vetting, as you mentioned earlier, because it's less expensive. So that's probably the main reason. And they know they're going to get as thorough a clinical examination. And I suppose if, for example, somebody knows the horse, they've seen it exercise, they've seen it sound in their minds after exercise, um, then they might be more inclined to go for a two-stage vetting. And sometimes it's just based on insurance. So people might, some insurance companies might just require a two-stage vetting. So then the client might decide to go for the less expensive option because perhaps they're just having the horses vetted to get insurance cover. So sometimes that's, that's all that's mm. necessary. So what happens with the, the rest of the five-stage process then? When you've, you've, you've done the lunging and you've taken the bloods, what, what's the next stage? What's stage three? So in the, in the five-stage vetting, we don't go on and take the bloods until the very end. Mm-hmm. So at stage two, in the two-stage vetting, we take the bloods after we finish stage two. But in um, a five-stage vetting, this stage three is the exercise-ridden phase, that would say ridden or lunged. Um, then after the strenuous exercise, we then have the recovery phase. So phase four is, or stage four is the recovery phase when the horse goes back to the stable, it stands in for a little while, and we then listen to its heart and lungs again as it recovers, monitor its heart rate coming down, and again, looking for any rhythmias or murmurs. And um, at this stage, some, some vets prefer to do the ophthalmic examination, then look at the horse's eyes when the horse is resting because um, there's a little break and um, other people. I, t- I used to do this. I tend to now look at the eyes at the beginning in the first stage because um, it's frustrating if you then find something wrong with the eyes and think actually we could have stopped the vetting earlier and charged the client less. So I tend to just check the eyes at the beginning now just really for that reason. Um, but it's a suitable time to check the eyes when you've got a bit of time in recovery as well. So once the horse has had the recovery phase, um, phase four, we then come out to stage five, which is the final trot up. So we bring the horse out of the stable again and we look at it trot up. And some people repeat the flexion test at this stage. I only repeat the flexion test if I've had any concerns um, with the initial flexion test. So, But if they were all perfect, then I don't flex the horse again. And I then take it back to the stable and take the blood at this stage with the owner's consent. Um, just quickly, sorry, going back to stage three and, and the exercise, is it walk, trot, canter on different reins? Is that what you what are you yes, asking for? So we want the horse to do what it what it usually does and what it can do. Um, so we always want to see there are certain things I'd always want to see. So I'd like to ideally see the horse trot on both reins, trot a twenty meter circle on each rein. I'd like to see the horse canter a twenty meter circle on each rein if it's able to. And I also ask the rider to um, ride in full seat first of all because if you've got a horse that's a bit sensitive through its back sometimes people go straight into a forward seat with the canter um, just to be very light on its back and that can potentially cover up a back problem so I'd like to ride it to be in full seat and then when we're asking the horse to go forward a bit more and canter to um, get it going then I get them to go forward seat then when we're moving the horse on along the long sides um, and uh we sometimes, I always ask, well, I always ask the uh, p- prospective purchaser whether they've jumped the horse themselves and seen it jump. So it'd be unusual that we'd jump a horse in the vetting, but if the prospective purchaser was there and they wanted to see the horse pop over a little fence again, we might bring that in. 
um, as well. I think it's key to remember as well that that we are the buyer. We're buying the horse. So I would say don't be afraid um, to ask as many questions. If you, you know, you want to make sure through the vetting process, they can speak to you, can't they? And say, look, what are your thoughts on this? And Yes, and very much so. We are, we are working on behalf of the prospective purchaser and not on behalf of the person selling the horse. So really, we shouldn't reveal any information to the, to the, to the owner of the horse because we are purely working on behalf of the, our client, the prospective purchaser. And so I like to speak to them along the way. And generally, I just like to give a, run, a running commentary as I'm looking at the horse and then everyone knows what I'm seeing um, as, as we go is my usual approach when the client is at the, at the vetting but obviously the client isn't always at the vetting um, so in which case I'd phone them if anything arose during the vetting um, that might want us to stop the vetting or, or if any particular concerns I have otherwise I'd call them at the end of the vetting and discuss the findings. And mm. um, I remember when I when I was uh, had, had Blackjack vetted um, I had the option to ride him myself and and for me that was really important because I kept thinking well the buyer the the, the owner could ride him it was actually through an agent but let's say it's the owner the owner could ride him and they could try and hide things that maybe you know maybe she can get him into canter and she can make him canter 20 meters but if I can't do that or me riding him might throw up something different what do you think uh yes I mean I would say most clients decide not to ride the horse at the vetting because they've already tried the horse and they've tested it out and um, they're happy for the usual person to ride the horse. And it's quite nice to see the horse from the ground as well. So I'd say most people, most prospective purchasers don't want to ride the horse at the vetting, in my experience. But as I say, if, if you want to, then there's no reason why you shouldn't. Maybe I just couldn't wait to get back on his back. That's probably... Yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's um, a good sign. I, I took my coach with me as well for all training and vettings and things. So she, because I didn't know what I was doing. So I needed that advice and that support. So I very much looked to my coach and I look to my vets for them to guide me through this process of what's right, what's wrong and what I should be looking for. Yes, no, I think it's really useful to bring somebody along to give you a, a second opinion. So, um, yeah, quite often people will have already looked at the horse with their coach or and any concerns that are flagged up, they pass on to us and um, we take into account when we're looking at the horse. Mm. Now, an interesting point I really wanted to ask you was when I first looked at picking my vet um, to, to, or picking a vet to do the vetting, it was far away from where I lived. So I couldn't have my local vet. There is no way I could afford to send him up there for the day. Um, so I needed to find another vet and I had two options I had the vet that the horse was already registered with with the with the previous owner and I had a, another vet that had, had never been near the horse or the yard before and in my opinion at the time my view at the time was I was better having a vet that had no association with the horse because and this is going to sound really bad because you're all professionals and I don't expect you to hide anything. But I just kept thinking, oh, well, well, they might not tell me everything if I go to that horse's vet. So I thought it was going to be more unbiased if I went somewhere else. But what would you suggest? Well, I mean, there are, there, there are pros and cons, really. So I think that the sometimes, I mean, ideally you would have your vet travel, but as you say, the travel costs are often prohibitive. Um, so I will often find myself recommending um, vets in other areas to my clients if they're far reached parts of the country. Um, so the advantage of having the horse's normal vet vet the horse um, is that they are obliged to 
disclose all of the clinical history to the prospective purchaser with the permission of the owner. So therefore, um, you get all of the information from the vets regarding that horse's clinical history. Now, the owner isn't obliged to divulge that information. However, if an owner says, well, now I'm not going to let you have the history, then that would obviously um, flag up concerns. Mm. Well, that's really interesting because I wasn't allowed to get the previous history. And had I known if I'd gone with their vet, I would have got the previous history, then that would have made my decision for me as to which vet I used. Yes, and I think a lot of people aren't aware of that, and I think it can make a big difference. And I, I mean, I've had an example of a um, pony club client recently, and I said, "We'll get the history from the vets," and it flagged up all sorts of things. And um, they were they were concerned by the history, and actually, it put us off purchasing the horse, um, or even going as far as arranging a vetting. And uh, and then equally, we have forced our event riders that make the same recommendations, they get the history. We had an unfortunate episode recently um, where I said, well, make sure you get the history. They got the history just as they'd finished the vetting with a full set of x-rays. And they then found out the horse had had various injuries um, that hadn't been disclosed Mm. until the vetting was done and they didn't buy the horse. So, So you do have to, if you're going to get the history, you need to make sure you get it before the vetting is done if it's going to inform your decision but obviously Mm. it it can be difficult to get consents and um, things moved through so just need to be careful with that and in terms of your concern about um, vetting uh, a vet vetting their own client horses I think vets are going to be neutral and fair and I certainly don't have problems with vetting my clients horses um, for other people and um yeah, I think I think we're 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 neutral and as you say, sort of very professional about that. But I can see why you would have potential concerns, but I think but I think the advantage of having the history would outweigh any any concerns. Absolutely. Um, well yeah, if you can get the history then it's a no brainer because that was one thing I could never get hold of. Yeah, very very useful. Yeah. Yes. I mean I begged for it. But one has to bear in mind that some people might have more than one vet and you might not have a complete history etc etc but on the whole you you should be able to get the animal's history Mm. and the x-rays so the x-rays are they an additional cost if we'd like to get x-rays yes so we often have to radiograph horses um if they are more expensive um for example horses usually over about ten thousand pounds require a full set of radiographs um if they're going to be insured Um, or if the horse is a young horse that's going to be going up the levels and potentially more valuable in the future, we might radiograph those, even though they're less than £10,000 because we want to screen for any potential problems. Um, Or people might have had previous problems and they want to know that they're not going to have bone chips or or any sort of arthritis problems beforehand. Uh, So it tends to be the sport horses that we we will radiograph. Um, We wouldn't do it... um, routinely but just at the the request of for certain clients Mm. I think it's quite interesting for young horses to have them x-rayed as well to see their development of how they're doing and they haven't hurt themselves in the field my one regret was not getting x-rays I wish I'd spent the 800 pounds I think it was I I imagine whether the costs you can tell me the costs in a moment but I think it was 500 pounds for a or 450 pounds for a five stage and something like 250 for a two stage is that what it is now 
Uh, it's less than that. It's a, it's about 150 for a T stage and about 250 for a five stage. Wow. Um, depending they on where you are coming. in the country. Yeah. So, so I think closer to London, it seems to be much more expensive. But around here, we're in the West Country. It's a bit more reasonable. Plus, obviously, journey fee and then um, radiographs, about £350 on top of that, mm. um, plus sedation. Sedation, is that for the X? Ex- can you do the X? Ex- the- yes. Yeah. So, can yeah, you- so obviously, we're ta- in terms of taking the bloods, so we have to make sure that we take the bloods and then sedate the horse mm. because obviously the station would check up on the blood so you need to make sure you get the order all correct for that and the x-rays do you do the x-rays at the field with the at the yard that you're that the horse is at depending on the facility so if they didn't have the facilities and radiographs are required sometimes we arrange for the horse to be brought into our clinic so we can do the betting at the clinic and carry on doing the radiographs afterwards oh okay but i mean i have had a case for example when i betted a horse for a client in Devon, so drove all the way to Devon, did the five-stage fitting, did 36 radiographs, and the last radiograph, I found it had kissing spines, and the oh. lady didn't want a horse with kissing spines, so you can sort of fail at the last hurdle, um, which is frustrating. Oh, no, uh, gosh. But that's, but that's, that's, why, that's, we're doing, that's why we're doing the vetting, exactly. Exactly, exactly. exactly. So. And actually, it just goes to show how thorough you are and how, and how you need to go through all that sta- those stages, because otherwise, like I said, my one regret was not having the x-rays, because blackjack's issue was so deep rooted it would only have shown up in it actually it only would have showed up in uh, in an mri well charlotte that's incredible thank you so much for talking us through the two stage and the five stage is that pretty much the whole vetting process then yes it is well then we go on to obviously write up a certificate um and um and send that through to the prospective purchaser uh as to whether we're recommending the horse for purchase or not but we would have discussed all of these points um immediately after the vetting if, if possible or as soon as soon as possible after the vetting um, and as I say occasionally we take radiographs occasionally we might scope the horse um, which is when we look at the look at the airways check its larynx um, but that wouldn't be doing, done sort of routinely okay but it gives us a really good clear I mean I didn't have any idea how the depths of what you guys look for um so it really does a, give a good overview and the certificate that we get like you said earlier isn't a pass or, or fail is it it's a bit like an MOT isn't it really with some advisories <laughs> yes yeah and I suppose um you mentioned earlier about how you regretted not having radiographs taken of your horse there I mean there can be a disadvantage I suppose that if you have a horse that's perfectly sound flies through a five stage betting and then if anything is picked up on the radiograph that isn't actually causing a clinical problem that might mean that you'll be excluded on your insurance um, for mm. those issues for example if there was very mild bones you might then be excluded whereas the horse might remain clinically sound for years even though it's got some changes on the radiograph so radiograph shows sort of historic problems as well so that's just something to sort of take into consideration I think that's very sensible because I, I'm i not sure I would have purchased my horse. I'm glad I did, um, but if I'd known the full extent of the injuries and the history. However, saying that, uh, when he, he was showing up as a little bit lame, it's it's. I guess we've got to weigh up uh, from what you, you say when you do the vetting as to whether it's something that we and the horse can live with um, or yeah, if it's something yeah. that's so serious that we categorically can't, like kissing spine. And I always say that no horse is perfect, um, and I think that's very true. You occasionally get a perfect horse, but it's but it's rare. Um, but we we're talking about um, risks, and the vetting is all about, as you say, weighing up risks, and um, and that's what we're trying to assess 
And yes, we can't predict exactly what will happen in the future, but if we flag up several problems, then um, you're potentially more likely to have a problem than if, if we don't. So um, you can have a perfectly sound horse one day, then a week later it might by chance go lame. But obviously if we can start with a cleaner slate as possible, then that's optimal. Um, well, it just so helps we, us make an informed decision, ultimately. That's, exactly. that's what yeah. we want yeah. to do. Um, well, Charlotte, thank you so much. I really, really appreciate your time. We can follow BW Equine Vets on Twitter. They're always putting out lots of great information. It's at BW Equine Vets. And uh, we have lots of articles from, from Charlotte and the team at BW on our website, horsehour.co.uk. I'm going to let you get back into surgery now, Charlotte. Thanks so much. Thank you very much indeed. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Next month, B&W Equine Vets are joining us to talk about kissing spine. It's a problem that quite a few of you have mentioned you're worried about, um, including the development of the young horse. So when is the skeleton fully formed? And does the riding, the way that you ride, affect your horse potentially having kissing spine? So we'll talk about the symptoms, the signs and the treatment as well. You can catch up with previous episodes of the Horse Hour podcast on our website. Just head to Horse Hour uk. Charlie unwins on there at the moment. He's a sports performance psychologist and it's really fascinating to hear his advice if you're overcoming fear or confidence issues but also if you need to refocus. Sometimes it's quite easy to lose our focus when, when we're in the midst of riding all the time and we're with our horses all the time. When you're actually riding, what is your focus? Really interesting to hear Charlie's advice. You can also hear Steph Erdley. She is a Grand Prix dressage rider and she's just done her first international show. So we hear about Steph's journey. She's a judge as well. She gives us some advice on um, on what she looked for when she was a judge and what we can expect from judges when you know we're going into our dressage test. We're quite nervous. We know the judges are looking for certain things, but what exactly is it that judges are looking for? There's loads more episodes as well. We've got over 150 podcasts for you to listen to so there's something for everybody if there's a subject or topic that you'd really like me to cover then drop me a direct message on twitter at horse hour i hope you've had a really lovely bank holiday weekend with your horse and i'll speak to you soon you've been listening to horse hour join the community on twitter mondays 8 p.m uk time 3 p.m eastern by using the hashtag horse hour follow amy at amy stevenson one and subscribe to us on acast itunes stitcher and Player FM. Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com.